0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clipping Point. With me I have Mr. Paul Murphy. Oh, I don't know where we're going to start. It's random, random random
1: starting here.
0: Along with Mr. Tim Murphy. Thank you, thank you, sir. And myself, Mr. Captain Ben. We need to get lights that like, like you're alive. No, I'm not going to do that. We're just going to roll with the punches. And we're going to go ahead and invite, welcome in our special guest of the evening. Uh, you know him as uh, no stranger to competition, and now <laughs> no stranger to the podium. Nope. He is There's your no stranger. round four clutch kicker season three winner. Isn't that insane? It, that that that's wild. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and welcome. Mr. Nate Hamilton, folks. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Almost need, there. Almost need there. need more
1: there. vigorous claps.
0: Yeah, come on. Oh, wait. Hang on. Wait, oh, man. Technically, oh. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Nate that represents gotta, our audience Yeah, right so Nate, go. <laughs> you got to unmute the, the microphone. Is Nate, yeah, yeah. He's there, but he, he has to unmute it. Unmute. Unmute. Um, there we go. There we go. Hey, there we
1: go all we're right back. guys welcome nate <laughs> how you doing yeah let's, let's what up what up thanks for having me man <laughs> yeah so so before we start and this is just and i don't know if this you thought about this as well but and ben brought this up right after you won he's like yeah. isn't it crazy that we had set you to up to come on the show the week after before you won mm-hmm. and then we're like it couldn't have ended more perfect <laughs> did that, did that and you're like, Hey, wait a minute, They're like I'm, and it's like, so now that we can go over the event, but you took first place. It's like we called it. Now everybody's gonna want to be on the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Book the show, win the race, you know? <laughs> uh,
3: well, oh well. Hey,
2: yeah, that. good timing though, honestly, right? Yeah. Good timing. That uh, was cool. Um I've been wanting to come on the show for some some time now and uh it all just kind of worked out pre the race. We were like, Hey, let's do the thing on Friday, and then the race happened and it all worked out. So
0: awesome
1: no it was great okay so we'll start off because there may be some people that watch us later on that mm-hmm. don't know who you are and your experience so give us a i don't know a brief summary of mr nate hamilton and his drifting career you want to start where you yeah get for started. sure what i mean your, yeah, i guess that's the super summary. Part super of the summary. skinny
2: version is uh i'm a self-taught driver uh, i started street drifting in the streets of plano texas in the rain this took me from an SR20 to an LS platform to proams to XTC to Formula Drift. Uh, then I exited Formula Drift to start a business, and then I started doing grassroots tours to kind of get back into drifting. Um, so that's the super skinny version. I've been drifting somewhere around 15 years, and uh, just kind of enjoyed like every chapter that uh, drifting has has taken me in my life, you know.
3: Right.
1: Did you do any type of motorsports prior to drifting?
2: Uh, not necessarily. I was on like a PW50 when I was probably like four to five years old. Uh, like I have memories of riding a dirt bike, but at the same time I ended up like sliding the dirt bike over sideways, dad pouring peroxide down my whole body. And uh, basically <laughs> oh, you
3: know, okay. mom, oh, mom being
2: like, he's done with the dirt bike. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just grew up on a skateboard, so I didn't really have too much like motorsports background. My dad was never training me to be a driver or anything like that.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah we, we, um, I always like to get some information because the drivers come from such diverse backgrounds, right? You, mm-hmm. People come over from uh, motocross, from mm. kart racing, from a lot. Skateboarding is actually, I think when you started drifting, majority of people came from skateboarding. Yeah, Dayron. A lot of guys. A lot of guys were hardcore skaters that made the transition over drifting. I see now. It seems like now it's kind of changed. It's been like most of the guys are coming over from motocross. A lot of motocross guys. Yeah. So it's it's good to get an idea just where people come from to also see how that experience might have played a role in their drifting career, right? Um, Yeah. So you start.
2: There's a lot of parallels, right, with the skateboarding or BMX mm -hmm. into drifting at at like. You know, in like the 2010 to 12 era was like skateboarding was you have no coach, you're Mm -hmm. self-driven, you fall down a bunch of times, you got to get back up. And then the same kind of concept when you're a grassroots driver, uh, you have no team, you've got to carry the weight of everything and you've got to get yourself on track. Uh, So for me, like skateboarding was drifting just as I got older and uh, there's like a lifespan in skateboarding, right? Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that carries over from motocross. You guys, in skating as well as motocross, you're throwing your bodies like all crazy angles in the air, hoping mm-hmm. you land on your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you make that transition to drifting, that fear that a lot of other, like myself included, I never came from an extreme sport, right? I just, mm-hmm. I started, I did some drag racing and some autocrossing and mostly car show stuff, nothing crazy. And then went over to drifting. For me, it was scarier because I'm going faster and... You know, I'm afraid of crashing, but Mm -hmm. coming from that extreme games style of sport, Mm -hmm. you're like, well, I'm in a car. I'm safe. (laughs) I'm safe.
2: (laughs) So real. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of, I say there's not a lot of fear in drifting, but like, I do feel very, very safe when I drift. And, uh, you know, I think like going back to the parallels, it's like with skateboarding to learn a trick, maybe you try it a thousand times and you land it once. Yeah. And then with drifting, you guys see, even at the Clutch kicker series, how competitive that is now. You know, you enter in five rounds and you hope to win, what, one, two at the time? There's right. so many good yeah. dudes out there. So you kind of got to have that that heart in it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So what was the vehicle you started drifting in?
2: Um, so I first started drifting in an RX-7. It was an FD 1993. Oh, wow. Um, so basically, I, I had a point in my life where I had a Jetta. And I fell in love with drifting through my hometown friend, Joseph Bell. Uh-huh. And basically I learned that I picked the wrong car and the Jetta was front wheel drive only. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So I, I went down to a to kind of one of those like private, you know, dealerships, if you will. And they had an RX seven and I kind of had this new like Jetta. And so he was like, look, man, you don't really want to trade me. Uh, this RX seven is a lot to deal with. And it's it's worth maybe like at the time a little less than the car you're trading it in for and uh so yeah i was like dude it's rear-wheel drive i need this car (laughs) got the car and i did about a year with it and then i started kind of like rubbing the front end on stuff in the streets and realizing like i can't even afford a fender on this thing
1: right yeah yeah
2: so wow
1: so how okay so then after you transitioned from the rx7 what was your next chassis
2: so when I uh, like, so I had the RX-7, and I was obviously working just like a full-time job. So I bought me a 240 shell. Uh, so that was basically the concept was to build that into my drift car, and the RX-7 would just be something kind of fun to have around the house or whatever, drive on the daily. Uh, but long story short, so I had the RX-7 in the backyard. I had the 240 in the garage, and I'm trying to work on it. I'm living with dad at the time, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a young kid. I'm like. 19 or something yeah. uh, and then yeah i just had one of my hometown friends walk up literally with a bag with like ten thousand dollars in it and he was like i would like to buy your rx7 and my dumb ass was like ten thousand dollars in a 240 will go a long way i can get suspension, <laughs> put a motor on it and i'll start drifting this thing so i let the rx7 go took the money built the 240 yeah. and that was basically my first chassis that i drove to work and got my pro license in
1: Oh, oh, Wow! okay. So where did you, uh, well, so you sold an FD RX-7 mm-hmm. for 10 grand? Yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe what? it's yeah, like, probably like 40, 30, 40 grand right
2: now. Oh, I know. I know. I know. And this was, of course, maybe let's, let's call it 14 years ago. So yeah, yeah I know. A a, I know. I know. Bit of a different time period, but still like it was a dumb move for sure. I miss yeah. it a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've no. all we've all sold cars that we shouldn't have. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> So it's not it probably won't be the last time, but hopefully we learn from our mistakes. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. And uh, the thing is, is that's still like in my dad's old neighborhood. The car's still there. So oh no! When I cruise back oh. through dad's house, I see it, and I'm just like, God, why'd I do that? Uh, well, oh,
1: no. yeah, and he can kinda... sell it back to you for ten grand. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs>
1: Oh yep. man. Okay, so so you you take that money, you start investing, and you say how long from the time you started that? I mean, let's just use that um, incident right mm-hmm. to kind of like cue off your the the point in the time where you are like okay, I'm going to take this serious. How long mm-hmm. from that time where you took it serious, got that money, and started investing in the the uh, to the 240? Did it take for you to actually go pro and get to that level?
2: Um. Well, I would say you know, like, let's call it four years before I went into XDC. So basically like getting the 240 and going all the way to pro-am took me about four years. So at the time, like the $10,000 put the sr 20 in it. Um, it put the drivetrain in it, it put the rear end in it and it put the suspension on it. And then I really started hitting grassroots events. Um, and yeah, like from there, I kind of showed a little bit of skill and, uh, I started picking up, like, you know, Inke Wheels was my first sponsor. Oh, that's Um, a good sponsor. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was, uh, like, that was the first person that came up to me and was like, hey, I like your driving, and I'd love to put these wheels on your car. And uh, Hmm. so, long story short, you know, that happened. And I think on the fourth year, the SR20 blew up. And then my local, like, builder at the time talked me into an LS motor, Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, I, it took me literally a year not driving the car at all to put the motor in it just to afford Whoa. it. Um, and then when we completed that project, he basically forced me to go to XDC, uh, which was mm-hmm. Extreme Drift Circuit, if you guys right. remember that series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really so that was where I basically was like, what? I just got a new motor platform. I've never driven this. And basically, like, fresh off the lot, I had to go to New Jersey And compete in XDCs like what it was at round two or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I would I kind of claim that being the start of my career because I drove to New Jersey, qualifying lap one, got a zero qualifying lap two, finished like P1 in qualifying. So Mm -hmm. it was really kind of nuts for me to to out qualify everybody and be like, wow, what did I just do? And then I finished the event in fourth place. And that's when I met like Jared DeAnda, Chris Forsberg, and a lot of the DA guys. So okay, mm-hmm. that first moment in New Jersey is kind of when my heart was like, I'm going to be a drifter, you know?
1: Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, what I was going to say is, so you were able to take that chassis and then you got sponsorships and you're starting to develop a program. How long did it take you to develop a program? And, and what were some of the... um? maybe the, the hardships, if you had any, Just trying to struggle and find, trying to find how, because you do really good at, you're, you're, you talk great, right? You, you seem, you have a good presence, you're very professional. Mm-hmm. Were you always, yeah. is that something that came natural to you or is that something you had to learn?
2: Um, I would say like, I definitely think it probably came more natural than I'd give it credit to, but also mm-hmm. let's go back to the hardships, which was like when I was younger, um, I think I was around a really, really solid circle So, like, obviously, Chris Forsberg, Vaughn Gettin Jr., Ryan Turek, uh, the Hoonigans, Jared Mm -hmm. DeAnda. Like, those dudes basically, what I would kind of claim, raised me in my drifting career. So, opportunities came, and I didn't really know how to navigate those opportunities, which brought hardships. So, kind of like, if I'm talking to Jared, I'm always mentioning, like, man, you guys really bigged me up, and you really gave me a lot of opportunity, and I didn't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that's where I think when you see me today, I just have to learn from all those moments to try to okay. put together the best program I can for my team now. So, yeah, I would say definitely didn't have this attitude, you know, five years ago. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So you you competed in XDC and that's what you say. So you got your, your pro license for XDC.
2: Yep. Yep. So um, I finished third place overall in the first mm-hmm. season of Extreme Drift Circuit. So it was like, that's pretty good. I think Denofa finished first. And then either maybe like, uh, I'm forgetting who finished second, but I know uh, I think uh, Donofa finished first and I finished third. And we were all competing with like Dave Briggs and a bunch of OGs, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Rapper Dan Savage, and right, James right, yeah. Evans from Siki And it was like looking at it now, Will Parsons. It was really mm-hmm. this like legends category at that time. Um, but yeah, so I finished really well there. And then I thought, man, I should go pro. And a few people told me not to because of the Mm -hmm. difference in car and team and skill. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, I was just that naive kid that, like, (laughs) this was what I was meant to do. So I was going pro. Well, you
1: you got your pro license. That's the natural progression, right? If you're going to go through all that competition, get your pro license, it it makes sense. You're going to go pro. Chelsea did. Right? Well no, Chelsea Chelsea sat in XTC yeah. for a while. He yeah, he did sit in XTC for a while. He won I don't know, how many years did he go? Yeah,
2: I think me and Chelsea uh like ran maybe two seasons together. Yeah. Um so the second season is kind of I guess what I'm talking about when I okay. decided yeah. to move forward. So okay. um it was the same year I wanna say that Danofa debuted in Formula Drift as well. Oh, so okay. like Chelsea, Pat, myself, Pat and a few others of us were right. kind of all in that. I want to say what 2013 FD moment.
1: Okay. So how was that transition? Cause obviously, so what, okay, let me, let me actually stop there for a second. What were you doing for a full-time job to be able to support this? Screen printing. <laughs> oh, still. Okay.
2: So you've been yeah, doing that for a long time. That's how that all connected again. Um, okay. Yeah. So we can go down that, that like kind of conversation, which was just like, I had an opportunity to screen print. Um, and I was just a pressman. So I was able to basically work like Monday through Thursday and mm-hmm. basically print as many jobs as possible. So I'd work like whatever, 12, 13 hour days yeah. uh, to get that Friday off. And then Friday we could head to the track, put in the Saturday, Sunday, back to it on Monday. So it's kind of like saying I had a little bit of a like a lenient job to then allow me to be out on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So that came into play. And I hated screen printing at that time. It was like, <laughs> really? That's funny. You know what I mean? I'm screen printing like flowers and butterflies which obviously oh. those are cool but like right yeah. i was screen printing stuff that just was like totally unrelatable to the skateboarder and drifter that i was right. and i'm yeah. just pr- printing all day like arms bleeding mm-hmm. and uh then i'd get to go drift so i just put my heart into that and then yeah like around that fd moment was when i just decided to try to go heavy into drifting full-time and start to gain sponsorships and all of that stuff so mm-hmm. but i got one for you you mentioned oh. you mentioned like how was the transition from mm-hmm. i guess you'd say like xdc to pro right. and uh i was on achilles tires at the time yeah, uh, so me. the funny story that i remember for so long is just like so i'm i'm actually getting free tires in xdc right like i'm getting a certain allotment of um, achilles tires mm-hmm. and i finished third and you know i'm all on a high and everything's going good And I called I called Achilles and I'm like, hey, guys, uh, good news. I got my license. I'm going pro. How cool is this? Mm -hmm. And then they're literally like there was a little more butter here, but they were basically like, hey, Nate, that's so cool. Here's your pricing chart for your tires. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, like, see you in pro. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait. I'm going pro. And they are like, yeah, <laughs> we know. More it's tires. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, middle school to high school, right? Like, you're in a whole new category and you're, oh, wow. you're going to be on, a, like, basically a team with Daigo. And, you know, so you got to pay for your tires. And I'm like, holy crap. So. <laughs> I really wasn't in a position to do that. So through Hoonigan, they connected me with Falcon Tire. So, you know, if you go back through the history, I kind of debuted my Formula Drift moment with Falcon Tires. Yeah. But I was working with Achilles Tires all the way up to that moment. So Mm. it was tough. I remember, you know, getting the pro license and there was no party. There was no big firework. It was more or less like, damn back to the drawing board back to wow. rebuilding all of this stuff but yeah. i guess i'm in the pro class
1: wow so that, that must must been a rough that's yeah that's a lot that's a rough transition <laughs> like you you're like you're on cloud 9 you think you're going to get then, more stuff right you're more, so you're going to get your you, you know you have more potential right right you have more potential a uh, broader fan base potentially more people following you going to want to you know buy that brand that you're rocking and here they're they're pulling out. That's like taking the wind out of your sails. Yeah, man. Yeah, was.
2: but at the time too, you got to remember. I mean, you know, I think on a on a super just round number, there's like 80 people in the pro class. There was no pro two, right? So yeah. like, right. Yeah, When me lovely. and Dinofa went pro, it's just go into pro, mm-hmm. and to make top 64 was cool. You know, like right. We we were there was times where I was qualifying like 65th, and I wasn't even you know, in the 64. Oh, so it was just like, right. I, I'm sure the companies invested at that time were like stretched thin. And as yes, the new yeah. guys came through, they had to make their way a bit, you know?
1: Right. They have different budgets, a budget for the pro guys, a budget for the am guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that on the business. And yep. absolutely. Yep. So you move past that point. And then let me ask you something, the screen printing. So the screen printing wasn't a family business kind of thing. This is just something you applied for and just wanted to start
2: doing. No, no, no. It actually was a a family business backing. So, yeah, like uh, my mom is into business and um, her business partner and her basically had started a printing shop aside from their other business. And just kind of throughout them going down that lane of business, Mm -hmm. it was much more creative. And for me, when I was drifting, I Mm -hmm. was trying to make like team gear and like make my Mm -hmm. boys feel cool that we were going to go to the track. And so obviously I was like, damn, I would much rather work there. So obviously I got the job and I started doing pretty. So,
1: yeah. So, okay. So now, um, let's fast forward. Let's kind of pick up where we left off. You got your pro license, your first, how did your first season of FD go?
2: Um, I think it went super terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, I, I just remember being behind the ball, um, but at the same time, looking at it now, it was much more of a, you know, like I really connected with the with the scene. So my driving results weren't doing that well, but I was really gaining relationships. And, you know, at that time, it was kind of not expected, but it was very difficult to battle Von Gittin Jr. in the top 64. Mm-hmm. And I've never even really been around a program like that coming out of Texas with me, two friends and like dad, you know what I mean? So right. obviously like there was a lot of camaraderie back then. So like you're mm-hmm. drinking a beer going like, how the hell am I going to beat you tomorrow? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. so like yeah. the the odds were stacked against me. So I don't feel like my heart was broken when I didn't get great mm-hmm. race results, but I was so in love with the industry that, you know, it made up for it, I guess.
1: Yeah. What would you say your, your biggest lesson for your first season of Formula Drift was and how were you able to u- utilize that
2: as you moved on? Yeah, I mean, I think like I, you know, it's like, oh man, that's a tough question. <laughs> I would just say like being more business-minded was missing. Okay. So throughout the first year, I'm literally going, like, how do these sponsorships work? Like, mm-hmm, I just was too, like, I was too blind going into okay. it. Um, so I'd say that would be, like, my biggest miss was just, like, I, I remember being at English Town, New Jersey. I remember Matt Petty, who's, like, an OG from English Town, oh, if yeah. you guys don't know yeah. him. Yeah, uh, I love this car. But he literally told me, and I think he called my dad and was just, like, tell Nate to not go pro. Like, do not go pro. Oh, and, again, like, I was set on it so i was going pro and i just quickly realized man if i would have put like four more years into xdc my pro debut would have just been that much better um so like i recommend that to kids right now you know like unless you are on unless you're like on one and you really 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 feel ready and your team is like up to par just keep winning whatever clutch kickers as long as you can you know what i mean
1: yeah, yeah. How, you might, I don't. You don't have to answer this question, but because you, you kind of like you're like the um, what's his name? The guy plays the Matrix. You don't <laughs> look like you've aged. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah so you don't look like you aged. So okay. I, I don't think you mind asking this question. So how old were you when you got your pro license?
2: Okay, let's do some math real quick because I got asked. This, <laughs> I got stop asked this stop with the math. Okay, hold up, real quick, real quick. Um, so, yeah, let's call it 22 years old when I debuted in pro drifting.
1: Gotcha. That's good. I mean, that's an accomplishment for 22-year-old. Yeah, that yeah. is
2: a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, and coming out of Texas, I mean, I think the lived down in Houston for a bit, but there just wasn't a ton of kids coming out of Texas into the pro class. So, it was cool. It was cool for for us to do that, for sure.
1: Yeah, and how big was the scene in dr- drifting scene in Texas back then? Did you guys have... You guys had quite a few trails. So you're from you're from Denton,
2: right? Yeah, I'm in Denton right now. Yep. So from where, North Texas.
1: Okay. Okay. And so what what are, are the major tracks? I don't really know the geography of Texas because it's massive. So mm-hmm. what are the tracks in your area that you were hitting up back then?
2: Yeah. So uh, the track that we drove drove on the most was called Mineral Wells, and it's okay. basically yeah, it's like west of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do credit this as well to some of the driving today because this was basically like an old airstrip and you could literally go like 110 miles an hour slide the car sideways with no consequence there was so much concrete that like you almost lost sight of Mm -hmm. anything like it was just that much concrete um Uh, so i started drifting like high speed drifting for the first like event that i would go to so for me like a fourth gear holy shit, i'm going fast like drift was just normal yeah. yeah
1: um you have something you have no something? No. Go ahead. so and then i noticed that too like for me the only we only had slow tracks down you didn't allow really anything fast yeah mm-hmm. so the time when i did get to go fast when i went to like north carolina charlotte motor speedway just even though i didn't get many runs in but breaking that 80 90 mile an hour mark for me yeah did a wonder in my slow game yeah, yeah. you were there oh yeah yeah were you there for that yeah he was he won Oh, you, you won okay. that one. I just remember breaking a lot of stuff. I I'm had, pretty I, sure either him or Doug Vanderbrink won. It was it was between was, you two two guys. Yeah, I was at uh, Charlotte County's uh, SWD. It was the mm-hmm. SWD event, and um, I had a green E30 that looked like the Red Baron kind, of, or not the Red Baron, but looked like a um, German jet fighter. It mm-hmm. was green with a yellow stripe on it. Yeah. yeah, but I broke stuff, and that was where the who was driving the RX7 that slammed into the wall, totaled his car, and oh, then the other man. car they cut the whole top off. That was like a right-hand drive, like legitimate. s13 sylvia were you there for that man i'm feeling
2: like i can see it but i don't remember it
1: like like well so so this is what happened like well the one are different
2: events dude
1: no that was the same event it was the same Mm -hmm. weekend i only went to charlotte county the the speedway once yeah but the where was the the roof off was not that yes it was it was the same that was an oval dude it wasn't an oval. It was. It was a. I don't think it was an oval yeah, I because know. I remember Brian coming out. <laughs> Order. Yeah. No, Order. I, I think yes. you're wrong. It was the same event because I remember he, he He was going around the first turn, and then the, the rescue came out to him, said, "Are you okay?" He said, "Well, my neck kind of hurts." So they stopped him, and they cut the roof off his car. It was legitimate, like. Right-hand yes,
3: drive.
2: Yes, 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 yes. That that was I at Charlotte that. County Speedway. So was, that. was car- Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, that God, was God. outside of the speedway. With uh, it was like the parking lot, and then the cone, yes, and the K rail section.
1: Right. Correct. Right. And then we, right. we pitted it. We pitted in the um the
0: NASCAR garages. Yes. Uh, I have a comment in the chat. Oops. Uh, from a Patrick Gooden who writes. George Grob was the S thirteen they cut the roof off of. Thank Where you. was it? It, was, there it, it is. was a road course inside the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Oh Boom. wrong. Uh, thank you, Mr. Gooden. I thank you, sir. That. I appreciate
1: yeah, that. Out. I'm not going
0: crazy. Dude, that's like a me time
1: going ago. crazy. He overconfidences me all the time. <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm wrong. And then I find out I was actually right. But anyhow, uh <laughs> just a little reminiscent. So that was so so yeah, so that, that was a good little I didn't realize yeah, he was there.
2: Yeah, I didn't realize okay, that. what year was it? Does Pat know what year it was? Like, what year was that? I remember 20, meeting ASD, like in. I remember 2016, 2015? 2015, 2012. He 12, said
1: 2012. 2012? Yeah, it had to be 2012 because I knew because yeah. I was with Jess. Oh, Do I was 10? with Jess for first year. Long time and, ago. Yeah, it was 2012. Yeah. I broke we've a lot of stuff it. that
2: we've been at yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was there. I was there. I it I qualified 17th. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it by one. That's why he doesn't remember uh, yeah. you. I always miss. Yeah, that's why you don't remember me. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Wow. Um, so, anyways, okay, sidetrack there. Um, so you're, you 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 complete your first season, like you said, you you were able to learn from your mistakes or just be able to take that because you know it's mistakes, and you look back and you're like, oh, stupid, but at the same time. It doesn't matter if you're wrong or you did did something wrong. As long as you take whatever you screwed up or you didn't do right, and you can learn from it, and you move on. How many seasons of Formula Drift did you do after that?
2: So my last season was 2017. Um, So like five. And yeah, kind of going back to your original question too, now it's coming to me now, but it's basically like, so imagine at that time as the driver, we're like leading the ship right like we're operating the drifting program and I remember struggling with crew and not being able to like guide and provide for my crew to in order for them to grow with me so I remember a few times like the crew was there then it would change then the crew would change and so I feel like I wasn't making a lot of progress as a team throughout those years, uh, just because of my leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah.
1: Yeah. So actually I was, as you were talking about that, um, I thought of a question that I don't think I've asked any other driver that's come on here, but can you talk to the struggles that a driver faces trying to find a consistent crew? Because that's, 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 Integral to your success. Having to find people that can not only know how to work on the car that you could trust, right? You don't have to say, are you sure you torque down this, right? You could trust them, but yeah. also finding a spotter that you can relate to. So yeah. kind of speak to some of the struggles. Were you able to find a consistent crew or did you constantly go through guys?
2: Yeah. So I think like, I mean, I, I didn't like go through a ton of dudes, but I, I would say like, I definitely would have a crew for, let's say two To three years and but here's here's the struggle right so it's like you you'll get some people who are like i love drifting as much as you i want to turn a wrench you want to drive the car let's do this thing and me being the operator of the program at that time my mind is literally on like can i cover the costs of going drifting Mm -hmm. with tires and fuel and all of the consumption and the travel like, can I literally just even cover that? And then if I got this dude with me who's like down to get the job done, he's maybe working his thing to get his pay on his own way. It's like that was the struggle. Was the struggle was in the overall budget, I was not putting the crew. So therefore, whenever they realized, dang, I've been doing this for two years and I just want to go ride a jet ski, they would just go ride <laughs> a jet ski, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like,
3: wanted, and they just, just could wipe their hands ski. and roll
2: and then I would have to supplement that role. And so uh, not not until I started my screen printing business did I really start to like put all that together to be like, man, like I really want to pay you to do the job. And if you agree with this stuff, then let's accomplish these goals. And I want to hold you to your word and to your actions. And then now we can actually develop a team. So I would say like to all the other drivers out there that are looking to put programs together, like, Just remember, man, like the crew is very important to provide for and uh, just reverse engineer like what each guy needs for your overall budget. So when you go to SEMA in a week and you're putting everything together, like you're able to then pay them and build off of that. Because if you got dudes around you that just want to do it for fun and you're a driver that's doing it for like your life's goal, those dudes just sometimes don't always last as long as you.
1: Right, right. I just feel like the jet ski comment was oddly specific. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but Ben had some. Ben, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you that there was obviously a time period where you started to wind down your um, your drifting program, and you started to dedicate more time towards your uh, screen printing program. I would say, and you started mm-hmm. to really um, dedicate yourself to your business, and so. How was that transition and how was the uh, obviously you utilize the experience you already gained through your uh you know the jobs that you mm-hmm. had. So how did that come about and how did that go?
2: So basically you're asking in like 2017 when I left mm-hmm. drifting, like why did I leave drifting and how did it go? Yeah.
1: Uh pretty much and yeah. It, yeah, what what caused the transition and how did that transition go? Because that's you're leaving a sport you love mm-hmm. to pursue maybe something else. So how was that whole time period in your life there, making that transition?
2: Yeah, I would say, uh, and Ben, sorry, your mic is so quiet, but I tried to piece it together, but yeah, I would say, uh, that transition was literally the most difficult time in my entire life. Like mm. it was so difficult and the position I was in was basically, you know, between, let's say like in racing, BC racing and others, I'm, I'm able to, to create small amounts of money to make the drifting happen. And the results that I felt like I was giving those companies was terrible. And mm-hmm. I had been doing the same thing for, let's say, three years with, mm-hmm. in my mind, terrible results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm driving from Florida to Seattle and I'm just over it. Like I had been drifting since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. i I just i just was like i cannot figure this out and i literally told myself like i'm gonna go back to creating and doing what i know i can physically do and i'm gonna let drifting go and if it is meant for me then it'll come back to me and so i was able to let Njuku racing know like three quarters or maybe a half to three quarters of the 2017 season that i would be moving back to texas and i was just going to take a break um And I think that was very difficult for both parties. Uh, You know, looking at it now, maybe there was value that they believed in me, but I also didn't believe the value in myself. So I let them down a little bit Mm -hmm. to try to get myself to get to a place where I could, you know, learn and and progress. And so then I remembered moving to Texas and, you know, Looking at it now, like, I didn't have a shop to start the business. I didn't have a location or anything. I didn't even have a name. Um, mm. And I just knew that I needed to do it. And so I did it. And then I was literally, like, missing it so, so much. I screen printed for the first year. And I would literally just, like, print for people, like, Grip Royal, and just send them shirts and be like, okay. love you. Sorry, I'm not drifting. Here's some shirts. Mm. And just started <laughs> kind of giving back to the community through screen printing for no real reason. Oh, yeah. And I just remember cleaning, like power washing and cleaning screens, like mm-hmm. by myself at 11 o'clock at night, just like thinking about drifting and like running lines in my head. Uh-huh. And i was oh, like, wow. what am I doing?
1: Right. Yeah. And so, and at this point your car was just kind of parked
2: under the I, press.
1: Under the, under the <laughs> press. <laughs> I
2: swear to God, I had, <laughs> I, I think I literally had my first, you know, my first location was like, Just freaking larger than like 900 square feet. You know what I mean? It was like, so I had a press, a manual press, Mm. an oven, a race car, and like some shelves. And (laughs) I just started screen printing because I had known that I can do that. And I knew that like people would need t shirts and I can make team gear. And I enjoyed designing it and I enjoyed that creative process. And I was so burnt out with drifting that I just thought, I'm going to let this thing go. And if it comes back, it'll come back. And, uh, yeah, so I did 12 months, not touching a steering wheel or a pedal. Wow. Oh, wow.
1: So the, where did you get the name for the, the shop?
2: So the shops LLC is, uh, like rhythm print supply. So mm-hmm. rhythm for me, like worked with drifting in the, in the idea of like, you need to get into a rhythm when you're in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then print supply just felt like industrial and scalable um but i will say i did 2000 let's call it 18 by the time i actually found a location so through 2018 to 19 and then like middle of 19 basically the phone just keeps ringing asking for 144 and nate like where's nate where's 144 where's nate where's 144 and really the industry i guess just couldn't connect with rhythm right Mm -hmm. because it's it is kind of artsy fartsy and has nothing to do with or one four four uh so i just realized like damn it all right i'm just gonna turn this thing dba it as one four fours print house and race studio um so we did that just a few years ago
1: yeah is what is there any significance in the number
2: yeah yeah there is for sure um so i'm gonna give you the skinny version and then you guys can dive in if you want but basically you gotta remember uh it would rain i would look at the radar I'd be like, yo, it's gonna rain. I would text about four people. Hey, meet me at this industrial park. You bring the cone. I'll bring the jack. Tonight we're doing like counterclockwise donuts. (laughs) And then we were like, okay, cool. And then it would rain. And then I would text. And then you Mm -hmm. bring the cone. I'll bring the jack. We're doing clockwise donuts. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So we really had this like scene where we all knew if it rains, we just bring, we don't even have to bring tires. Uh, and then we just started doing a donut to the left, a donut to the right. Let's put them together. We're doing figure eights, mm-hmm. and you know drifting was just so new back then. So oh, now yes. here we go. Right, following the story mm-hmm. from there, I get like the two forty, and then I got to go to the XDC event. So I go to XDC, I land in New Jersey, I roll up, and I've got a the number that I had picked was forty four. Um mm-hmm. this kind of comes from a childhood friend of mine who had passed away. Uh, oh. he loved Brett Favre in the number 4. Oh. So okay. he like basically like I just kind of had 4 in mind mm-hmm. and then when I started drifting I realized like I'll have 4 for Tyler and 4 for me so I'll be 44. Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. So then I go to New Jersey. I, I roll in and the first thing I see is this huge Mobile 1 race trailer. <laughs> And it's uh, Ryan Turek and Steve Angerman. And of course, Ryan Turek is number 44. 44. And I'm like, damn, I'm screwed, man. (laughs) Like, what am I going to do? How do I keep the 444 for Tyler and me? Uh So I thought of Travis Pastrana with the 199, and I just thought, okay, I'll be
3: 144.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's that's interesting. Like, there's sometimes no, that there's that, and that's that's pretty cool because a lot of times people overlook the number. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people will be surprised how much thought goes actually into picking a number. Yeah. And the history behind it. Like you said, I mean, that's that's a pretty deep history behind that number and what made you come up with that. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, so now you're uh, a 144 print house and you think, once you made that transition, do you think it you started be able to market, market yourself better with that number? You think it definitely made a difference just by the
2: name? Um, I don't think the name I guess I don't think the name I think if like I would have stuck with rhythm, it probably would be the same as today. Oh, okay. um, it's just branding, but I think that one four four as vague as it is will work mm-hmm. for me in the future where I would like to take the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I definitely think being in motorsports and screen printing has really elevated the brand to be relatable. Um, like we, pr- we print for like road racing stuff as well and off-road stuff. And so just the fact that I drive and print seems to be a, a good, you know, value prop, if you will, like something mm-hmm. that is relatable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoy 144s print house and race studio as the brand right now.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's, um, you went from kind of being young and the formula drift, right? Dropping out of that, like you said, make that transition. Maybe not the easiest. Now you're making a transition, even though you have experience in that field, how was it becoming your own boss and building that brand?
2: It was on. Yeah, it was on. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like I was lusting over drifting. I was missing drifting more than anyone. I felt like I had the skill, you know, kind of like you like like uh like I would say like growing up with you know DenoFA and Will Parsons and Pat Gooden and mm-hmm. you know kind of seeing Matt Field rise to the guy to the like the man he is today. Like I feel like I'm in that same category, just a little bit less experience in the field, if you will, meaning like putting together programs and things like this. But yeah, going into like 2019, I launched the Endless Search for Tires tour. So at this moment, I did not have a tire sponsor and I knew, you know, while screen printing and going drifting, I really would need a tire sponsor. So I literally titled the tour like Endless Search for Tires Tour Um, (laughs) and I kind of spun off the Endless Search for Summer, um, Mm -hmm. which is like a surf thing. But, you know, so I just I kind of tried to make it like known that I was looking for a tire sponsor through marketing and I found Accelera Tires on Instagram. I called them, and they immediately hung up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I called them again, and they hung up the phone. Um, And then I just had to buy the tires, and I immediately did a giveaway. And I had everybody tag, you know, the direct line to where I was trying to talk to. And (laughs) that kind of sparked, you know, a flame. And then I went on to do the tour, and by the end of that tour, like, obviously, like, the... Mm -hmm. you know the management came up to me and they're like nate the endless search for tires tour is over uh we'd love to pick you up and offer you free tires so awesome i just i was able to actually start understanding how to bring brands value and that has been helping me over the last you know three years
1: well i mean you're figuring it out on your own you didn't really Mm -hmm. have anybody holding your hand along the way did you
2: no, it's definitely out of necessity, you know, like I told my, like I talked to my dad, let's say, and it's like, man, you know, maybe in 2012, if we would have hired like some sort of, you know, manager or some sort of like athlete relation or something to guide me in some of these deals, we probably could have done this a lot earlier. But mm-hmm. given that, you know, dad and I had no real background in motorsports, we were just like any other kid right now that's watching this that may be starting and then I just, out of necessity, needed to drift and I needed to start making it make sense. And so I had to screen print my face off long enough and think through mm-hmm. it in order to get to do it, right. you know?
1: Well, You've definitely been more of a personable driver than a lot of the other drivers, I could say. is like listening to – anytime I've ever saw an interview with you, whether back in Formula Drift or just uh, even now, you're you're much more – I don't know. Animated, more vocal than than, and can express yourself a lot better than a lot of other drivers can. Yeah. So it's uh, it's. I don't know. I'm I'm surprised. I don't even know how to say it. Like, the, 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 how it just the professionalism comes natural. Yeah, it comes natural for really you. I couldn't, natural I couldn't
2: hear any, any of that.
1: No, oh, really? Oh, shoot. Ben, you got to work on the... Uh, you got to get human. this audio fixed, buddy. You get the audio oh, fix. Basically, what my brother was saying is that... Um, and so does that mean it's not coming up on the live stream either? Though? I don't know. No, it, it's good. Uh, okay. But yeah. so basically, um, my brother's saying it's just watching you carry yourself uh, so professionally. It seems like it comes natural, even though you may not feel that way. You may feel like, oh, I've grown so much. But ever every time I've ever seen you or video watched you, you've very always done it. Yeah, very professional. And you're not dry, right? You're able to be you, yourself, mm-hmm. but be professional at the same time. So it's definitely, it's definitely one of your, your key attributes, I would say. Yeah. Um, but one thing, yeah, one thing I do want to ask you is, you're taking a break? Building the business. Great. Things are starting to roll. When was your first competition that brought you out of, I guess, retirement?
2: Um, it was Holly LS Fest West. Um, and I think that was 2019 Holly LS Fest West. So again, man, literally like I'm screen printing. And, uh, for those who know about screen printing, it's like you, you need a frame, you put your graphic on the frame, you load it on your machine, you screen your job, and then you break that emulsion down and you rebuild it. Right. So I would do this multiple times for multiple jobs in a day. So I'd have to, cause I only had enough workflow, I didn't have a bunch of screens, so I'd need to build a screen, run a job, clean the screen, sit around the shop for the screen to dry, rebuild the screen to then go home and oh, sleep wow. for a little bit to go do it the next day. All of this to say when I decided to go to Holly LS Fest West, it was my first time back in the car, like no practice day, no anything. I bought the accelerator tires and I went to Vegas and wow. I got second place, fresh off fresh off the couch after two years. And I, again, was like, man, I'm meant for this. Like, I have to drift. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like all of the whole year off um, and and really no, like, I felt like I got better at drifting by taking that year off, which me and Aaron Lowsley on uh, Lone Star Drift would argue over that approach. Mm-hmm. But for me, it worked out right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. We got to go to LS Fest for our first time not too long Thanks. ago. Yeah. East. Yeah. Over in Kentucky. Yeah. That was amazing. Really impressed. Yeah. They had like over 60,000 spectators. It was insane. And uh, me and Ben had the opportunity to do the announcing for the drifting portion. Uh, it was a great time. And we're looking forward to going back next year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. They run
2: a good show out there. I know Swan does a good job on grid and running the drifting and it's cool to watch mm-hmm. those events grow. Right. Like I think I've won Holly LS best East maybe 2020 or something like the next year after that as well but um dang i'm gonna mess that date up don't quote me on that but yeah Yeah, like like, all these events grow like drifting is growing in the grassroots to pro-am scene and i'm proud of it
1: yeah yeah Yeah. we've seen it a lot here we i don't know if you can hear me Can can you
2: hear my brother can you hear me now no
1: no. Okay. It's okay. Through. You tell. Them. Going right. <laughs> so, what were we gonna say, Paul? will uh, translate. Yeah. <laughs> <No>, give me. <laughs> no, give me. <laughs> but, no, I was talking about how the scene has grown here. Oh yeah. You and can, was, you can was, talk was, about that's that. That's actually yeah. where I was gonna go too, yeah. is that you mentioned that, and I want to kind of touch on that. Um, we experienced it. At least we're experiencing it in the aspect of Florida drifting scene, right? Yeah. Um, we, in the last two or three years, or maybe, yeah, probably just maybe a year or so before clutch kickers did their first major season, we saw an influx of drifters and the need for tracks and Florida for us is now like a Mecca kind of not really a Mecca. Cause you know, I think California and that's really always going to be that, but for us, what it, what it turned into is just phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. The growth that you go to a drift event and there's all you're easily getting 30 drivers every event, even though they're more doing than more than time. that. Yeah. yeah more yeah. than that. I'm just saying, you know, back yeah. then if you got 30 drivers. When we were running drifting events, Yeah, we were happy. that was <laughs> like, Oh, it's a slammed event. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my question to you is where do you see drifting going from here?
2: Man, that's a good question. I think, um, uh, I think I've been around a little bit to kind of see the tide like rise and, and then, you know, the tide kind of come up and go down and come up and go down. But, you know, I think to shout out Florida, it's like, I love Florida. And I think Florida is a really good, like training grounds for drifting. I know when Mm -hmm. I lived there with Njuku racing, it was nice, basically having less of the seasons, if you will. And like, I think if you're living in Florida, it's easier to just stay on all year where obviously Mm -hmm. like in Texas, even let's say when it gets super, super cold, whatever it be like your local car meets might kind of calm down for a few months and you got to build them back up. So I think like Florida as a physical location is just beautiful for drifting all year. Um, Mm. and I think that that kind of roots rad drivers. Um, obviously like Northeast is still killing it too. And the cold, you can get through it. Right. But, um, I think drifting will be something that hopefully, carries a vibe like skateboarding where the lifestyle of drifting becomes something that we talk much more about and the competition of drifting is just something that we get to like add and brag about um but i'm hoping that like companies lean into drivers that are just active in drifting and and not necessarily like how many trophies you have Um, in my world it's kind of like there's are so many rad skateboarders that create like super epic skate episodes or like, you know, your mm-hmm. video projects and then they may right. never, ever want to do Street League. Right. So like mm-hmm. there's so many rad street drifters out there who never, ever want to compete in Clutch Kickers. And I'm hoping that like those dudes also get airtime and get momentum and become mm-hmm. the lifestyle of drifting, which um, I think is a little bit like underrated at the moment. Um, yeah. And then obviously the competitions are very highlighted but the competitions to me are just so muddy and they're so clunky and they take so long and it's so Mm -hmm. you know it's like i get frustrated at them at times so i'm hoping that also competition drifting something happens and the ice breaks and it becomes like this whole new world of like competition drifting in the future too you know
1: yeah yeah kdf bro kdf um (laughs) Yeah. yeah Uh, yeah, just let me. I just want to touch on. I don't know if you want to get some, but this. I mean, just, me just because I will forget. I'm getting to that point, point. Um, <laughs> and I forgot. are You serious? Yeah, yeah. I forget. I'm, I'm telling oh you. like I to, I, dude, you got to write it down like yeah, I, do. well, I, I got to start getting. Okay, you want me? To sorry, in, sorry. I want to ask my question yeah. or you? Yeah, can, go ahead. You have a quick. Can, 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 can you hear Ben? Can you hear my brother? I don't know. Can you hear me
2: now? Sure. No, no, no. You
1: can't yeah, hear. Me. Okay, oh, okay. Right, just talk louder. I have, I have a an odd question. You don't have to answer it. The pictures in the background. What is, is that Fred Flintstone? Yeah, I can only see one. Right,
2: right. Yeah, so it's like okay. a, a local artist here in Dallas that we work with a lot at the print house is uh, Diamond O'Brien. So, yeah, he does uh, like this is Mrs. Oh, and Mr. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, for my lady and I, he drew these up.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I, I remember.
3: I remember. <laughs> oh, see, I knew that. I knew that <laughs> would get time. time to remember. Yeah, I would give you
1: time. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about the competition. This is something. I just want your thoughts on this. You know, Maybe I'm crazy, but... We've had this conversation um, how there's a thing called the, the Grave Digger effect. Have you ever heard of that phrase? No. no. So have you ever – did you ever watch Monster Truck Racing when it first started? It was like they would actually race. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, they would race. Oh, and right, it got,
2: right, right, right,
1: right. It was a race. It was exciting. No. There was talent there. And then it got to the point where – they started catering to the spectators and they put in a small area and just started doing these stunts and stuff. It was no longer a race. Mm -hmm. It was more like this spectator thing, but we also call the gravedigger effect when you have certain um, characters, right. That people want to win, want to win, right. They show up, they want to win, but do you see that for drifting where it's going to get less of like um, so much about the driver, doing what they have to do, or and it's going to evolve to like a spectator, more of the driver's more of a, personality, yeah, more of a driver's personality, more of like a wrestling, right? Like you start getting the drivers engaged and, and I think that'd be cool in one aspect, but I can see as a lot of drivers probably drop out. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know. <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think like as drive, like if I look at drifting right now, And I look at the guys who love to drive. I think for the most of us, we don't really want to be a cartoon character, right? Like, or we don't want to be, you know, like an action figure. Um, We want to drift and we want to win races and we want to drift more and win more races. And I think you will watch like on the top 16 ceremonies when we're all just like, what's up? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's. I don't think, well, I'm speaking for myself here, but it's like... You know, so for me, like, and I know I talked to Denofa about this as well, and he was the opposite of me. But for me, I would love for drifting to at at some level be a, more about like driving more and the consumables being a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- imagine if you were able to like, say, you know, you had 16 cars and let's just imagine like, I don't know, let's say qualifying was about racking up points. And Mm -hmm. you had a 30 minute qualifying session and there was all this like computer animated math Mm -hmm. that like was on your car. And you would run into the, your session would start, you'd run into the pits, tires go. And as you take a lap, you rack up points. And then you come Mm -hmm. back and you take a lap and you rack up points. So whichever car could stay out the longest in the 30 minutes, you're racking up points. The drivers get an extreme amount of time in the car and the crew has to be quick with it, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. like you want to you wanna really, really like specialize the crew to be quick on the pits hmm. back out into drifting and then back into the pits to refill tires go. And then when the 30 minute ends, the crew that kept the car out the longest would rack up the most points. And that's kind of like some form of qualifying, let's call it. Like this is where my mind's at. I just right. want to drive more and right. I wish we get to, I wish we could drive more.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, but see, there is two different aspects of it. And I see both sides because as a driver, yeah, I want to drive more. Something like that. I've never heard an idea like that. I think that's pretty cool. But then you look at the other aspect is that what drives major sports? It's going to be the fans. And even when me and Ben are announcing, a lot of times we'll ask questions out to the audience that we already know the answer to. Right. And I sometimes I'll see the judges and like they'll they'll look over. us like, Like, why are you you asking asking that question? (laughs) It's not about whether we know it. We have to understand the audience. You may have people that have no idea about drifting and you got to speak in a certain way that they you can keep them engaged. Right. Because we're not commentating for the drifters. We're commentating for the new fans and and those fans that maybe have been around for a little while. So sometimes we say certain things that are like, duh, like, yeah, we know that, but the average person may not. So, Well,
2: well, let me ask you this. How many mm -hmm. times do you call a show or call a race, and when you're, whatever, 64 to 32 to 16 to 8, like how many times are you guys actually confused about who won? Or do you feel like for the most you're literally like, I know who won and why? Or are there more times where you're like, how did they? Win? How did that dude beat that dude?
1: No, I I I think for the most part, me and Ben already because we've judged before in the past. Yeah, and we we're watching everything from where the judges are. Yeah. So for the most part, I think we know who's going to win already. Uh, okay, there are sometimes when they're watching it over and over again they're analyzing certain things, and you'll hear it. So you'll hear me and Ben. It's like, well, he dropped a tire here. That maybe if you ever watch it, it we'll be start trying to pick apart the run as they do the right. replays. Ben, right. correct me if I'm wrong.
0: No, no, you're at it. There's maybe like a few instances, but very, very few where yeah. we'll be like, OK, what happened? And then it's something that we missed. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. Like oftentimes we'll like we'll look we'll see it for the first time and then we'll be like, OK, well, maybe we're not seeing something. And then one of the judges will actually explain it to us. And we're like, oh, OK. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Like I remember one time it was um, uh, Taylor Hall. Over at Emerald Coast, mm-hmm. right, and there was something that he did. Oh, he drove, yeah,
1: the, the 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 rolling burnout, the, the rolling yeah, the burnout, burnout, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the thing
0: that we're like, oh, didn't even see we, that. Once they told us about it, we went back to the replay. We're like, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense
1: now. Yeah, it was a little different then too, is because we weren't watching it from where the judges were at Emerald Coast. We were on the other side of the track, but still, so that we, was that was a very valid point. Once they explained it to us, then we knew exactly what they meant. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah, but I will say I called your win. There was there was discussion <laughs> there was discussion in the booth because Connor Osoli's freaking car is a rocket, right? Oh yeah, and and you know there was discussion in the booth. I was like, "Oh, Connor's probably gonna take it." I was like, "No, I know what's gonna happen." Nate's been driving extremely consistent. Connor's gonna get over anxious and he's gonna knock himself out of competition. It's basically exactly what happened.
0: Uh, you're fast forwarding. I am fast forwarding. Well, well, <laughs> okay, well, okay. well no, 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 you didn't give me a timeline here. Relax. Well, okay. okay. <laughs> hey, what's the matter here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Forget about. I, I got a question for Nate though. I wanted to ask you, going back to the community, how are you, or perhaps your business, involved in your local community? Doesn't necessarily have to be uh, drifting per se, but I, I just want to know exactly, like, how are you involved in your local
2: community? I mean, uh, in Denton, it's very creative. So I would say currently the print house is damn near built by everyone from Denton, you know, like um, Adrian came out of Denton. My graphic designer came out of Denton. Like my other mechanic, Brandon came out of Denton. So, I mean, I would say like moving the shop to Denton helped me be in more of a creative area Um, from there. Like, um uh, I'm trying to think about it, like as far as like fundraisers or donations to things in the town. I'm not doing that as much. Um maybe mentoring? Oh, mentoring for sure. Yeah, we do uh like so we use kind of the print house sometimes as a studio to train people how to print. Um there's a lot of times where kids will walk in and and not understand the process of printing and so I get to walk them through that or they could even you know, rent the shop for a day and then they'll come in and then they'll just use the equipment and like train with me. And then from there, it makes me feel good because that's how I started. And also you never know where we're going to grow into. And it's cool to kind of cultivate those people from the grassroots level as well. So, and going back, so not to turn the conversation around too much here, but going back to that, playing formula drift on at the shop, having straight creative kids that are just like, ink graphics and t-shirts they're watching drifting and they're like how did he win that or how does this even work so i Mm. i get perspective on people who don't know drifting and it seems that at times it can be very very hard to comprehend like who won and why you know what i mean Mm. that's why i was asking you guys obviously y'all have a keen eye for it now but it's like to the average neighbor it's like yo i want a drift race check my runs out it's like how'd you Mm. win that or like how'd that guy not beat you Right. And there's a lot of friction
0: exactly. there, you know. Right. I think the one of the challenges, and uh, I'm sure Tim can attest to this, is that is we. I mean, one of the things is we want to point out that like we have a lot of trust and confidence with the judges, mm-hmm. and so even though if we have any sort of uh, doubt towards it, they're willing to actually make us understand and see exactly. Okay, this is what you miss. It's like okay, that makes complete sense. But at the same time, uh, one of our one of the difficult tasks is basically to. Relay that information that they give to us and put it in a sort of palatable uh, layman term sense for the audience to understand because some of the terminology can be a little bit too complicated to for the average viewer to be able to kind of digest. But I, yeah, I exactly. think t-
2: but that's what I'm saying, even on the concept of like, hey, Nate, where do you see drifting going? I'm like in 10 years, I bet there's a series that none of us have thought about that is much mm-hmm. more easy to comprehend. And maybe it's about more laps that give you results. And then they understand that car stayed out on the track longer and racked up those points. And he got the higher qualifying. And then when they went head to head, the math showed this or that, like it could turn into something like that in the future, which is what I would put my money on.
1: Well, well, I was going to go back to your point with the monster trucks to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how exactly it's judged, but it seems like it's all about the wow factor, right? Right. So the, the, if you're wowing the crowd right i mean it's it's pretty easy to see who wins that seems like it's what it is right now and now it frustrate drivers like crazy yeah but that's i mean you got to imagine that happens in in well and you see that on the live stream comments right that's exactly what you see in the live stream comments yeah. Yeah, you yeah. have your grave diggers out there that everybody wants to see win and whether i mean their engine can blow up and still, they can still blame it on the other guy, right? It's just, it's just <laughs> nothing, you know, the, the person can do no wrong. But then you have the other extreme where the person can't do anything right either, right? So you have your lovers and you have your haters of certain drivers. And that's what's going to, it's an unfortunate thing. It brings spectators to the sport and what do sponsors want to see? They want to see the numbers. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's like a double-edged sword because you, if you go too far in one direction, you either alienate the fans or... Or you alienate the drivers. So it's mm. gotta be that middle ground, right? Making it technical and entertaining is definitely something that drifting is going I think to build the sport and keep the drivers engaged is where it's gonna have to go.
0: Right. Perfect. Yeah like, oh, sorry, Nate, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think I would just want to say to Nate's point that I think what I, I see what he's getting at yeah, sort of in relation to what like what you see in, like, regular racing, Mm -hmm. where it's, like, it's the fastest car around the track where you could actually mark down with a stopwatch. Right. Exactly. And and so he's sort of...
1: Figuring out something where the fans can automatically tell who won. It doesn't need to. It's not subjective. They don't have to know the line and all of this. They, I mean, with drifting judging, you have to know all these certain criteria to be able to say this guy won and this guy lost. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It needs to be something where somebody can easily see. Okay, I see why this guy won without having to know. Hey, this is what the lines was, and this mm-hmm. was the this was the decel zone. Well, that's how skateboarding and surfing is. I could turn on a watch skateboard competition, and and sometimes I. I don't know that certain tricks are worth more than others, right? Mm-hmm. No, I got you. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, see, we're not there yet, right? We got to wait for the right. 10 years to <laughs> pass so it'll come around. But something yeah. along those lines, I think something in drifting will change big time that will allow all of the drivers to feel like there's a fresh breath of air, uh, fresh breath of air, right, and I then it'll just reinvent the sport at some scale. And I just think somewhere down the line that'll happen.
1: Yeah, it's going to have to be assisted with technology because I like Mad Mike sold, uh, what was that called? Uh, God, what was that called? Mad Mike? The, yeah, Mad Mike drift had the his- uh, drift. Yeah, yeah, he had the whole, yeah, that one.
2: Yeah, yeah, That was kind of that, cool because like, he had
1: a whole point yeah, system. Yeah, those
2: type of events like birth concepts like that, right? Like, hey, Chris Forsberg gets 20 seconds. There's a shipping container. There's an 18-wheeler. There's a like a K-Rail section. Go rack up points. And then he takes his run, he racks up points, and then there's, I think, a style bonus or something on it, and then that's your result. And so it's mathematical, yet stylish, and somewhere Mm -hmm. in that blurriness will become the new sport of drifting in 20 years, you know?
1: Hmm. Maybe like teams, like, you know, instead of tandeming against somebody, you're like teams versus teams, and they're going out together tandeming. Hmm. I, I mean, there's, you know, you cool. it, right. It's going to be something that we didn't. We're not thinking about, right? And it takes it to the next level because I'm sure there's nothing that we're spitting out that somebody else has a thought of already, right? Right. right. So, yeah. oh, what clutch kickers? Yes. Oh, we're we're supposed to talk about clutch kickers? Oh, ask them. Ask as what? them about what? What am I asking? You know the question. I don't know the question.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh my question is is uh, how how did clutch kickers come about in uh Uh, for you, uh,
2: so man, I was in it early. I, uh, I got a phone call from Michael Castleberry and he basically had mentioned that the Holtz, you know, drag strip had an opportunity for them to lay some asphalt down. Um, you know, he was able to invite me out to Florida to kind of walk and talk the track layout. Um, so I actually walked that with, you know, Zach and Adam or I'm sorry, Zach, Matt, and Austin, Mm -hmm. and obviously Nick Castleberry and Michael Castleberry. And uh, I remember it just being sand. And we were talking Mm -hmm. a little bit about how to make, you know, the track flow and what their ideas were. Um, And then, yeah, from there, like, I've just watched him do everything he said he would do, uh, just one step at a time. He built the track when they debuted the season. Obviously, I was doing grassroots tours, so this was, like, a perfect fit for me to sign myself back up for, like, the mindset of I get five rounds to try to win a championship and that's what I lusted over in formula drift. So it just worked out perfect. And then I ran their first season, second and what now third, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So three seasons into it. What's your thoughts on the growth of clutch kickers?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's insane for them, man. I think it's one of those things where they didn't expect it to be what it is today I think it's uh, got a lot of grassroots in its heart, like at its core. Like there's not a lot of rules. There's no tire rules. There's no real limitations on vehicle weight or power. So it's like the wild, wild west where all the drivers just really have to sign up to be the best they can be and then go compete. And that kind of ties into that wow factor, right? Like when you got a dude like... Shout out to, like, let's say Honadale, who can put mm-hmm. 900 horsepower down, blow smoke in every section. He's <laughs> obviously going to to physically look to the crowd like he is murdering it. And then you guys up in the bird's eye view or the judges realize, you know, he's two feet off the outer zone. Nate's one foot off the outer zone. Nate gets the win. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. Yeah. there's just those little things like that um, that happen at clutch kickers that are exciting and also a double edged sword because. You get those drivers who love the the Wild Wild West vibe and then you get the drivers who are like, I wish we were all in the same tire. This is unfair.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Actually I, I was gonna talk to that because I actually was in a conversation where I had somebody saying, oh, I love clutch kickers. That's a run what you brung kind of serious. That's me. And Yeah, it was. But mm-hmm. that, that you weren't there. This was different people. Oh, but I feel that way. You feel that way. And then I had somebody else who was like, no, that's not fair, man. It's just ridiculous. Obviously, they're going to win. They have all this power. And I just got to witness this debate that we've seen and heard many times. What are your thoughts on that? Because you you are more in the higher horsepower, more experienced pro level, right? Because you were pro. Um, what are your thoughts when you hear somebody just saying, Oh, it should be all they should have more rules. Do you, do you like the way it is or do you think there should be a change?
2: No, I love the way it is. I really enjoy the wild, wild West version uh, because (laughs) I think there's more series you could go join that are super restricted. Um, So I think that they're being a bit more rare with their actions that they're not putting a lot of rules on it. And I think for whoever, right? Like, whether it be Denofa or myself or Josiah, like I think Mm -hmm. being able to put whatever car you want together and bring it there is exciting because like I said, there's other series we could just go run that are going to make us run this tire and this power plant or this thing and that thing. Mm -hmm. So I really, really enjoy it. Um, And I really enjoy my last race results on the 651 sport tire Mm -hmm. because this tire is never claiming to be a, nitto or a federal or a valino or a gt radial and i was able to battle people on a gt radial on a you know what i mean like i was able to accomplish the goals i was to accomplish on a tire that maybe people would say couldn't win Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah you're definitely able to pull out but I, I agree. I like I agree with Paul. I like the with Chevron. The, the the unlimited, no holes barred. I'm just waiting for something insane to come out of there. Like yeah. it's just like, well, like it doesn't make <laughs> just like diabolical. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like. But what's great about it is look at a driver like Connor O'Soli. Right? It gave him the opportunity. I mean, he's very he's only been in drifting for not even two it years. Came in season two. Yeah. Came in yeah, came in season two, maybe two years under his belt of drifting in general. It gave him a platform and it helped mold him and -hmm. put him in a level of competition. I don't think he would have progressed if he was just doing fun days or little competitions on a skid pad or whatever. I think he, the clutch kickers being unlimited the way it is pushed him. And I think also with um, Jaden Martirana, I think him as well being a young kid being in that level of competition, um, not, you know, in the middle of the pack, he doesn't have. He's not near the high horsepower numbers. He's right, right in the middle of the pack. So I, I, I think it's great what yeah, they're doing. It. But I, I hear a lot of times, and you see it in a chat. This is unfair. You know, Adam LZ. Oh, blah, blah. You know, he's running. He's running. <laughs> you know, four fifty five wide tires <laughs> in the back, and, and it, it that shouldn't be allowed, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I love it, and I've loved watching it grow. And, and I admitted before in the past, when they first came out, I was a pessimist, right? I was like, okay, here we go. It's another one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long this lasts. Because they really did change the drifting in, yeah, it in the good. States, right? The payouts. Now we have other events doing these big payouts. Yeah. Before Clutch Kickers, you didn't have that.
2: Yeah, they were right, they were definitely right on the cusp of like what we would call like the shootout events, right? Like, I think North Dakota... Uh, the SRD stuff up there uh, was doing the 10K shootouts maybe like one year before them but mm. other than that it was like very very vague and then when clutch kickers started doing it I think you really started to see everyone pick it up and go damn if we could put a 15K purse up or a 10K purse dudes yeah. are going to those and mm. so then that sparked that whole scene but yeah going back to the no rules thing I mean I definitely think it's something they should lean into and then market and say like run what you brung and this makes sense to the hopefully the people that are watching it because it's supposed to be that way. It's meant to be a bit more free and available. And if Adam can get his hand on a 315 Nitto, then cool, right? Like, I still feel like at round five, I could beat him. I just have to run the proper line. I have to be more, like, sharper than him. And it's possible. So I think, like, that mindset is all I can do in a series like that because I've got 600 horsepower. I'm on a tire that... A lot of dudes claim can't win, and then I get to do it. Right,
1: because you know what I want to see is one of those like four thousand horsepower semis. You <laughs> 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 take the whole track. Uh, I can't. can't yeah. You, know. you remember that? Have you seen those races where they drift the semis? A long time ago, not yeah. recently. But yeah. they got to. Somebody's got to show up with that. I. I, I that. Well, the, the, the rule book does not against that, it. I want to see that on the oval. There's nothing in the rule book. So imagine that thing on oval.
2: I don't care. It'd well, be hilarious. Let's, let's talk about that, right? I feel like from my perspective, I hear more about, should we drift on the infield or should we drift the bank? And is clutch kickers a series for the grassroots drivers, or is it a series to prepare guys to go into a formula drift or a higher competitive series? I'm saying so more bank. When we did the last two rounds, we were obviously in Holt, and that's a very limited, call it, carding track, if you will. And so there was no real discussion. This was the track we were going to drive on all the drivers, whether you were pro or driving for the second time ever, you were going to drive on that track where now we're like, you guys want to run a bank at 114 mile an hour wheel speed, or do you want to run an infield, you know, at 90 mile an hour wheel speed. And there's certain drivers who would love to just run the infield with no walls and no K rails and no bank. And then there's right. Like an X amount of us that love the gnarly shit. So Mm -hmm to me that debate is even more alive than what uh car you're bringing you know
1: yeah yeah i think the bank is, is we need more bank i
2: well so being in florida we
1: had a lot of oval tracks and and so we're kind of used to that down here mm-hmm. and i think riding the bank is probably one of the the most fun i have it when i'm on the bank and you hit it and you hit it right and you're just i mean it's just you don't want to get off you want it to lie. it's just it's a lot of fun it's a, yeah, yeah. a lot yeah of- so i don't see I, I like the bank. I think it adds element of of just excitement for not just the drivers, but also pushing those drivers past the limit. What? You got something, Ben? No, no go
0: ahead. Finish. Here but pushing
1: them. But also, this as a spectator, watching you guys ride that wall and tandem around that freaking wall is just exciting.
0: Right. But I, I just wanted to mention that the drivers that are going crazy for the infield, right? They're thinking like, oh, we don't have walls to worry about or cables or anything. Do they not... Are they forgetting with the grass and what kind of danger that posed? Like, look at what happened this past weekend. Yeah, look at it. We had almost cars just flip over, roll mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. like I was like, "What is going on over here?
2: This
1: yeah. is
0: insane." Yeah, yeah it's yeah.
2: like it's like saying when you sign up for a drifting race or a, v- a drifting event, it's going to get gnarly either way. Like whether yeah. we're running the bank, whether we're running the infield.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: My feedback to the clutch kickers was basically just like. Being that you have five rounds and you can design the layouts differently, whether it even be clockwise, counterclockwise layouts, I was hoping to see all five rounds present a new layout. And I know as a driver, when you give us different layouts, whether it literally be like enter into the left or enter into the right, it does a lot for you to walk into an an event and have a whole new like let's call it um to have a whole new like set of timing you know what i mean like a whole new experience, experience on the same location but you have a whole new experience and mm-hmm. i'm kind of like sad that we keep running this the same layouts that appear to have worked like i think round 5 is what the same layout as um was it 3, three? right so here mm-hmm. we are again and it's like i just wish we could get creative with it in at least Make the layout a bit different, you know, because as a driver, then it challenges them dudes to set your car up maybe or do it to the left instead of the right. Like, mm-hmm. I just wish each round would be different.
1: Yeah, I, I wish just, we could do a bank to bank.
2: Yeah, he wants to bank to bank. That'd be cool. That'd be sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, like, like bank, switch back, mm-hmm. bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be yeah. sick. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so I guess we'll start honing in on this season for you, right? Cause <laughs> Got a lot of good background, got a lot of information, and uh, but let's kind of hone in on this season. This season. So how did the season start for you?
2: Um, the season started pretty good. I want to say that I got, I knocked myself out in the top 16 against Taylor Hull mm-hmm. um, when I hit him. Right. Um, and then from there, I went on to the tour, and I was able to go to Hyperfest, and I had started to see symptoms of an issue with my car. And then I had went to grid life, uh, Midwest in Michigan, and I had blown my motor completely. Mm -hmm. And then I had worked with Golan engines and we needed this specific part that basically took way longer than anyone expected. And so I had to rent the Corvette for round two and three, um, which was a challenge and a breath of fresh air at the same time. Really? Again, again, going back to like the creature comforts versus getting to work. Let's say when I got in the Corvette, It felt weird. I was so unsure. I've never driven a Corvette. So I had to go to work. Like I had to quickly pick up the pace, realize that I needed to make this car, like I needed to make the car have results. And that went really, that went pretty well for me. I felt good in the Corvette. And then again, it was just round to round kind of commitments to to, uh, Zach and from there, I just still didn't have the engine back, so I had to commit again for round three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, round four, basically, right, just threw the motor in the car. Within one week, we put a motor in it. We absolutely rewired the entire chassis. Oh, wow. Um, and then my boy Adrian drove this thing to Florida, put me in it, and we won the race. So, Oh, wow. the oh. season's been, like, ups and downs for sure, but I feel like it's going to end well.
1: Yeah. What was going on with the subframe?
2: dude, I bent the subframe. Like, (laughs) I I don't even know. Like, I literally, so I took a run in practice and I remember exiting the track. So I think about this. I think what happened when I look back on it now. So I think I would run my whole run, finish the run. And when I was coming out of the exit and going up the bank, I was like drifting up the bank. And I Mm -hmm. think I would just like, that is harder than it looks like when Mm -hmm. like a lot of the drivers can relate when you come off that exit and then you're immediately looking up at the bank it was super dramatic (laughs) um so i think i just caught my rear in there and i started to basically push my like tension rod that then started to buckle my uh like whatever it's called you know the Mm -hmm. the tension rod freaking you know what i'm saying the thingamabobber yeah, the thing I'm about it hooks up to the
1: the, the, the the what you call it the mounting point on the subframe for the, the track tension, hit his rock car. Buckled. Oh stop! Um, <laughs> that. stop
0: <about> um, <laughs> what was that, Paul? I
1: said technically we've had uh, um, what, uh, so the pavement contacted your vehicle and caused a catastrophic failure. So you didn't,
2: and I and so yeah, so going back to that, I finished the run and it, literally it felt like the front end had had fallen apart or something. So I was like, yo oh, guys, wow. there's something wrong with the front end. The car is like walking sideways. Then I would go to the pits and I look at my rear wheel and I'm like, holy shit, oh, this thing is yeah. like gone. Yeah. Yeah. But did yeah. you guys see did you guys see me in uh qualifying? Uh, we saw the wheel. Oh you yeah, 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 saw yeah, the wheel, yeah. That was yeah, that and was, it, yeah, that it, was... It's disconnected in the burnout box.
1: Oh my <laughs> god.
2: Yeah, we <it> were <laughs> shaking. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was it shaking.
1: The wheel, yeah, was, yeah, shaking. The like,
2: the wheel box, was shaking. Basically, we as a team kind of committed to running it um Mm -hmm. and i barely felt it like in the burnout box i thought everything was going good for qualifying hit the start line uh adrian actually radioed in and said like yo nate your wheels sideways right now and i just i just took off and i completed Mm -hmm. the whole run and everyone was like how did you do that and (laughs) i just we just had to because we wouldn't have had the time you know
1: right yeah right
0: um one thing i wanted to ask you because um you have a lot this year going on i mean you had the car uh taking place you were trying to uh learn a new car with the corvette and you brought a child into this world so Mm -hmm. there there was a lot on your plate this year and i'm sure it was not only a challenge to learn the car learn the tracks and manage your personal life so how, how did you go about to handling all of it and uh how do you at the same time how do you stay focused how do you stay in the game
2: Well, look, I think like remembering 2017 when I wasn't drifting and I was at a print shop from sunup to sundown, my perspective has changed. So, you know, having car issues feels a little bit easier now because that's I'm just so grateful for that, right? And then Mm -hmm. having a kid with my wife, of course, was like a moment that we needed that we didn't even know we needed. So... Mm -hmm it feels a much more like a lot of blessings are coming in and then going back to the crew conversation from being a young man to the man I am today.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like, I, I can work with Adrian and I can manage Adrian and Adrian can call all of the sponsors and order the parts. And, you know, he's just sending me approvals and then we're operating as a real team. And so really it, it does look like a lot is going on and trust me, it feels like it too. But at the same time, it's really delegated out well right now where everyone's got their thing they're doing and, you know, we're all complimenting each other. So it's just working, you know what I mean? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have the knowledge, but it's another, it's, it's a whole other thing to have that experience. And yeah. going through, going the route, while you can look back and, and say, oh, it was, it was a tough road, but the lessons you've learned along the way, and as you said, it's different now. Right. Yeah. You're, you're back in it. You could pick it. And and back then trying to be one you're a your young driver. So you're trying to be a boss and a friend. And, you know, that's not easy. Right. Because right. you want to you're you want your people to do certain things. But at the same time, you're trying to maintain that friendship. But as you get older, you find a way to uh, start that way off the bat. So it's not. There is no expectation and everything's understood from the beginning. And now you're okay. I'm budgeting this because having somebody come along and they're, you're just paying their way for them can get bitter. And it's like, so I've done, we used to do events, right? So mm-hmm. we'd have track workers and you're like, where do you go? I'm like, well, I can't really yell at him. Cause he's doing it for nothing. Right. I know. Yeah. So I yeah. couldn't could afford to pay him. So it's like, you can only expect so much, yeah. but You know that's not going to take you that far. So learning how all those years of experience and mistakes—you could say they're mistakes, or you could say, hey, listen, there were lessons learned, and you're able to take that and use it moving forward. Um, We've seen it. We've seen it in your driving, and I think going from the vet for you was almost like. You watch like Dragon Ball Z, right? You're like you've seen this fight scene, and then he <laughs> goes, Well, wow, I've been wearing this hundred pound vest. Now let's fight!" Oh! Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's basically what it seemed like. But the vet was training like with weights for you. Yeah. Getting back in your car, you just seem way more dialed in, despite yeah. the rear end issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly right. Like we talked about, the vet made me think. It made me stay on my toes. It made me like focus on where is this rear wheel because I've never driven this car. And then when I got back in my car, you know, just like close my eyes and I can feel everything. I know where it all is. Mm -hmm. And so I just applied that same focus with the 240. And then I was like, holy shit. And I would just watch some tape from my spotter and be like, I'm on the edge of the track. You know, like if I just do this every time and don't try any harder than this, like everyone else better be on the edge of the track or else I'm going to be further out than them. And I'm going to run a better lead line. Yeah. And uh, something I will say, uh, which was super interesting, with the rear wheel having an issue, uh, in qualifying, I remember throwing the car in and kind of feeling this weird, like, stick, mm-hmm. and then I missed my line. So I immediately was like, damn, that was not the best run I've ever done. But I qualified 17th, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, I had to chase everybody first. And That's a good point, yeah. that, I think, was a huge advantage. I loved it. <laughs> like... I loved it. Like, I don't know. I think it put the pressure on them. They had to do a good lead run. Most of them would dirt drop or make some small mistake. And then in in my ear was just like, yo, just do exactly what you've been doing. Like, don't do anything extra. They've already made a mistake. Run your lead line. And so that gave me the freedom to be like, oh, shit, I don't got to do anything extra. Just like, let me just do my thing. And then I would get the win. Then I got the win. Then I got the win. And you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. Chasing first is pretty
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we start seeing him like being. Oh, qualified.
2: so it's so like. He, he's doing it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose. <laughs> no, we know, yeah, we yeah, start yeah. seeing him <laughs> doing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Ben, you have some. Uh, if you see me biff the qualifying next <laughs> time, you
1: know why. Yeah. Well, then he's just trying to get in the middle of the pack. He wants, he wants to chase first. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, you had something
0: queued up? Uh Oh, yeah. You were I showing guess. him something on the screen. Right, exactly. Um, but are actually, not- I wanted you to kind of go over um, your team members and what their roles are and kind of give uh, everybody uh, an understanding of because we see Nate out on the track in the pits, mm-hmm. but, but we kind of right, but we kind of want to know like who else is around the pit area because there's so many moving parts that mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, this is a good opportunity to kind of let everybody know like, Oh, Hey, you know, this is this person in Mm -hmm. charge of this and so forth. So care to like, kind of clue us in as to who's a part of your team.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So you guys got to remember the foundation of this is me doing my best to build a team that can, let's say perform at the highest level. So in let's say clutch kickers, it may be a bit overkill, uh, but basically I'm trying to prepare my team to, let's say, go into bigger opportunities, right? So mm-hmm. with that being said, I'm just using Clutch Kickers as the operations to prepare for moments mm. in the future. Uh, okay. So with that, the team basically is comprised of the driver. So I'm the driver, um, you know, kind of the operating part is myself. So basically like I'm really 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 letting everybody know what i would like them to do and the reason behind that and then from there we get into the crew so i've got my dad who always comes to drift events he loves drifting more than me um he he can't stay home on the couch if he wanted to so dad basically will take down a lot of our notes um he'll stay plugged in to the team's radio and just be ready for anything he'll you know, for the most part, he will like just literally like guide me into the proper pit position. Right. Like he's always there for me when I return from a practice session or anything. So I don't run over anything dumb in the pits or something. So dad would like take mm-hmm. notes and just guide me and uh, give me a high five. From there, we have Adrian, who really will operate as like the general manager of the team. So Adrian is really keeping his eye on all things race program. Um, and then also being a mechanic as well. Um, and then I have Brandon who is a mechanic of mine who specializes in understanding what every socket and bolt is on the car. So he gets to kind of wrench on the car day to day and really realize what everything is. So if there's ever like a five minute call, like he knows that car like crazy. Um, and then around the pits, you'll see sometimes, uh, Bailey, who is Adrian's lady, and she will either sell merch or she will be answering emails for the print house on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think we got, I mean, that's really kind of the, the, the race team, if you will. So two mechanics and dad, and then, um, you know, some merch activation with Bailey or my lady when she can come with the kid or Austin, our graphic designer. So yeah, we usually like try to pull someone from the print house and then the race team. So mm-hmm. that's really our team, but I know it can mm-hmm. look like a ton of people are always around, but Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh. Am I spotter? How am I gonna forget my spotter? <laughs> <laughs> How am I gonna forget that. Yeah.
0: Um. Actually, now that you mentioned, yeah. You're gonna do yeah, the question about your um, <laughs> talking about your spotter. What do we? Yeah. Um. Hang on. Let me see. I love where it. Is it at. there? It is. Okay. Uh, now that I got it. Uh, talking about your spotter, I actually caught him in the job. Like this? Well, you guys won't be able to see okay. it. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll just follow that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> during competition, there we go. So, I don't know how you have, uh, what's the role here? What, what is his play, his techniques? For for all we know, this is something that uh, works for him, that works for you. So, perhaps, can elaborate? Because I got to tell you, like, on a serious note, that every time that I've had the opportunity to go over to uh, Nate's pit, and he's your spotter is there, and just the wealth of knowledge and information that that man is able to spit out just makes me just feel like, well, you know, I, I don't belong there. Like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, no, it's seriously though, just the way how he's able to sort of uh,
1: Take explain over things. Nate's conversation. <laughs> well, what Nate's no.
0: trying to say is, we're going through this
1: right <laughs> now. This. And Nate's kind of looking at him like, I, I can explain it to them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Look. Ben, you're always welcome at our pit. So don't ever feel like you don't you can't fit, you can't hang out, you know what I mean? But uh so yeah, so what you're looking at here is Matt. He's probably praying for me at the moment or doing some <laughs> craziness, but there's a lot of uh there's a lot of so Matt is basically my spotter and he is an OG. Like this dude um you know, he's he's in it. He is in the sport. He is currently Jeff Jones's spotter in Formula Drift. Um, and he has his roots tied back in drifting before I was born, you know what I mean? Like, he is really, really somebody that used to spot for me in pro racing, so he was uh, in Juku Racing, Kevin Lawrence and myself Uh, he was our spotter and I shit you not, like, when we go into a qualifying session we will, at Clutch Kickers, we will go through our qualifying session and before we even go to the driver's meeting, we will know exactly who we're battling, we will know the top 64 like he has an Excel spreadsheet that will blow your mind. And this is what he does for his fun. So he is a guru and he's in my ear and, uh, he's definitely like elevated me in, in, uh, in a really positive way, you know?
0: Yeah. I like, from my perspective, I mean, and you know, I mean, it's just like very enlightening the, the things, the knowledge and stuff. I just sit there. I'm just fascinated by, like, what he has to say because he's able mm-hmm. to actually just narrow down and sort of uh, extract things that, like, you know, we've mentioned mm-hmm. before how we'll miss details. But he'll go into, like, such deeper levels that mm-hmm. I'm just like, you could just sit there and just be, uh, I guess, or, like, for me, in a way, I, you know, I'm in a state of trance mm-hmm. just listening to this guy with the wealth of information that he's yeah. spitting out. So I'm just like, wow, like, Nate's in pretty good hands if this guy is a, a, his spotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I, had, sure. I just saw a question. Well, for example, you know, like to Ben's point, it's like, you know, we a little bit of background here is just like we will literally put a gear in for the car for qualifying and a gear in for the car for competition, and these will be like different wheel speeds for different reasons. And mm-hmm. again, this is just math on an Excel spreadsheet that gives a result that we're trying to accomplish. And before we had Matt. We just didn't have that information. We didn't have that knowledge. And Matt just stayed in drifting forever, um, you know, for multiple years and years and years. And he's, that's like his, that's like his value, right? Like he can really explain stuff from momentum of car to gearing to RPM levels. Like when someone tells me like, yo, Nate, what's up? I read your logs and I really want you at 6,400 RPM instead of 62 and a half. I'm literally like, how do you know that? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and then it gives me a target to hit. So now maybe I'm on the line for whatever it may be, trying to win the race or not. And instead of worrying about the crowd and everyone and all the things, I'm literally like 6,400 RPM. I better hit this line and I better hit this RPM range because they're going to read the logs and then they're going to tell me. And like, <laughs> I wanna, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it holds me accountable. So that is a level of our team that we've never had without Matt. And he's been with me this whole year. So, I gotta keep booking him, man. He's gotta, he's gotta carry us on, you know. Yeah. So,
1: so now here's a question: You make the jump back over to FD. Who's gonna get him?
3: <laughs>
2: <Who's he> gonna... <laughs> I know, right? I know, I know, I know. Well, I guess when Jeff quits FD, I can join it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh
1: man, rig oh, the future.
0: All right. Uh... <laughs> Let me just go ahead and uh, because the chat is uh popping tonight, yeah. I, 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 so, I, 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 I got actually question, yeah. And then uh, so first question over here again from uh Patrick Gooden, he's a fan. Uh, Nate, <laughs> have you ever had an, a, an extremely hungover teammate crash into you for no reason on a skip pad,
2: <laughs> dude? I mean, I don't know how many, like, yes, absolutely, man. Have, <laughs> <laughs> Like the, I, it's, uh, there's been so many good times in drifting, like looking back on it, it's so gnarly. And that's what I'm saying about the industry is like, no matter the race results, like me and Pat have gone through so many gnarly moments, terrible moments, cool moments, like just drifting as a sport is rad. And like, I want to keep that camaraderie alive. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, Pat's, Pat's, the man. Yeah. All
0: right. Um Yeah, another one for Tim though.
2: Yeah, I got I got another one. Let me just
0: uh mention that. Uh question for Tim. I see life jackets behind me, Ben. Uh does Tim own a jet ski? Which would go back to the earlier
1: point yeah. in the discussion. <laughs> I may or may not own a jet ski. May yeah, or may not. Alleged <laughs> allegedly own a jet ski. <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't the jet skier that, that abandoned you. Yeah, that abandoned Stand- you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No. Uh, no, I don't have. It. No, don't. no. He, he's uh, got amazing. he's got life jackets got, for some life reason. Life jackets
1: me and my wife we had uh, paddleboards. They're scared of swimming. A while and um well, not scared <laughs> not of swimming. <laughs> my wife likes to be safe, so there she wants go. to make sure every has, has a life jacket. So safety first when I take the family out. <laughs> okay. You got to get some no, tips no from
2: Bell, dude. He used to race jet skis.
1: Yes, yeah, yes, I know. Yeah. I know we had him on um as well. Yeah, that's that's Do You know about his ferret room?
2: No. He has a room full of ferrets. Yeah, I do not know that. Well, yeah, we found out. He's the ferret whisperer. The ferret (laughs) whisperer's got a room full of ferrets. That's a whole other world.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Uh, Uh, Follow up in regards to, I guess the um, the skip pad. Uh, He says uh, New Orleans and Nola. I need Nate's side of the story from Nola. Oh,
2: yeah, dude. So we got to remember uh the hazy memory here but i remember going to nola with pat so for bc racing bc racing brought us out to nola uh pat gooden myself and kevin lawrence and i want to say the clearest memory is us on a street throwing beer bottles as high as we can and <laughs> watching them smash right so like <laughs> nola was a blur dude nola <laughs> was a blur but the skid, like uh, they let us on the big track. I remember this, and it was super gnarly and fun. Um, I think we had our turbo setups together, and I think that we drag raced. But ask Pat, did I? Who won the drag race? Was it Pat or Kevin? Oh, <laughs> we got the ask vehicles. One. What were the vehicles? We were in two. We were in our our two forties. Pat okay. had his coupe. I had my S thirteen, and Kevin had his S fourteen. Mm. It was super fun. Wait,
1: we're wait, waiting for a reply. We'll yeah. get back to you.
2: Yeah. Oh, pass out he won. Pass out he won. Of course he did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I thought he did. <laughs> he jumped the line. He jumped the line. Oh, he jumped the <laughs> line. <laughs>
1: jumped the line. Oh, that's that's funny. funny. Oh man. All right. So um I usually ask this question to all the drivers. I like you to kind of look back at your career up until this point and give me a contrast. Um, a low moment and a high moment that you could think of off the top of your head?
2: Mm. Mm. I mean, I guess you'd say low moments would be in transitions that you didn't know you would maybe keep drifting, Mm -hmm. right? Like drifting can be something that is very, very taxing to maintain. Mm -hmm. And you can get your one, two, three years where you're just like on fire Uh, So for me, I guess you'd say the 2017 season was my lowest moment where I gave up drifting and I thought I may never drift again and that was cool and if it came back I would drift again. Um, So that was for sure my lowest moment, but again, like out of that brought my best moments. I definitely think, you know, since 2019 to current days have been my most fun with drifting. Um, I feel like I've had the most level head. And been able to speak to partners and sponsors on the value of drifting and the value of the lifestyle of drifting um so yeah i mean to kind of put it in more of like a pinpoint direction would say like when you blow a motor and you don't know if you can afford another one those moments Mm -hmm. suck um or if you have to miss races that you've committed to being at those moments suck Mm -hmm. so drifting can suck a lot
1: Okay, so now, now let's um, – I don't know if I'm straight off the, your timeline here, Ben, but sitting down at the track after the event, how confident were you? Did you think you had it in the bag before we announced it? Or were you still like, I'm not too sure?
2: No, I knew. I knew. Yeah? Well, because Connor had spun. That's
1: that's right yeah. Yeah, it right, yeah. so one. it was kind of it was an easy one yeah. And Maybe to actually honest, kind of,
2: of lovely, the opposite way right?
3: around. like what <laughs> what are you talking
2: about? So <laughs> yeah, shout out to shout out the left side of the bracket here. You know it's one of those things where I I had Savio in the 64 so I mm-hmm. felt pretty good like I know he's ripping and he's on one but I felt like I just would be sharp
3: um mm-hmm.
2: you know and then uh, just as I was breaking into the thirty twos, I'm like, man, I got Naren. He qualified first, and then I got Dirk Stratton, and yeah. that dude's like super mm-hmm. sharp. And then I had Honadale. Mm-hmm. and so by the time I got to Connor, and Connor, I love you, but I was just like, I got Connor. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's he, he does not have as much experience as me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I've been able to work through these dudes that like have a ton of experience. So yeah. I just, I had figured I could put on a good show and, and take Connor out uh, again, though, you know, to Connor's point, he has a great car. He has a great crew chief, Andrew. Like he, he has all the math dialed just as much as we do. And I knew like his car can beat me. It would just be like, who, f- who fumbles. And I knew it. I knew on that day, like I wasn't fumbling, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: One of like yeah, and talking about the bracket, that's actually one of the things that we were highlighting in the broadcast is that we took a look at the bracket and we realized like heavy on the left side. Yeah, the left (laughs) side of the bracket, you have the top four championship contenders on that side of the bracket, and we're like, okay, this is just absolutely wild. What's going to transpire, Mm -hmm. and just and it did not disappoint. Yeah. And we're just like yeah. thinking like, okay, well, Animal Z is not going to have it tough. Jonathan Nairn is not going to have it tough. Like er- everybody there was not going to have it tough. And not have it easy. Well, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't going to be easy for anybody involved. Uh, thank you, Tim. Um, so I can't imagine what kind of pressure and what sort of uh, process, thought process, what's going through your mind. I'm sure it's sort of one of those things where you have to uh, think strategically about it. As you not only have to, because remember, like, I think it was either Saturday, I forget, where you got the frame fixed. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm sure that was maybe looming in the back of your mind, perhaps saying, thinking like, oh, it might mess up again, or maybe something else will mess up. Uh, But then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you have that going on. But then now you have to go uh, battle against these behemoths, if you Mm want to even call them that. Um, and then just sort of try to manage all of that and keep yourself in the game. So how do you, how, how were you able to uh, handle that?
2: Yeah. So a bit opposite of what you would think, right? So with the rear end of the car, my mindset was like, let it break. Like I do not care when they put me on the track. I don't even think about it. And I literally forgot about it. Like I did not Mm -hmm. think about that rear subframe issue from the time that I battled Jonathan Naren, like, okay. Just at that time, it was like, that never even happened. So that wasn't on my shoulders, Um, you know, and then really like what I felt like I had on my side for momentum was like, again, being in the Corvette, I had to really read all of the 30 seconds of the run as much as I could. So when I got into the 240, I was just very, very aware. Like I'm in the car and I can look ahead of them. I can see them. I can see their line about to go off track, so for me it was like just staying in the present moment, and then just I guess allowing a mistake to hopefully happen on their end uh, was was the game that I was playing, versus adding any pressure of that might break or holy shit right. I can't beat Jonathan Aaron he qualified first like I just yeah. kind of tried to see it and then and then make that happen, and uh, on on that day it worked out for me.
1: Yeah, took you all the way to the top.
2: Yeah. And then like, when you get to that point, you're just like, wait, wait, is there more battles? Like you almost get lost right. in it. You're just like, yeah. you, you kind of lose track of like where you're at. Because if I started and I did this, I started thinking about like, okay, if I don't win this one, then I think I'm on the box, but I'd get third. And then I was like, don't think about any of that. Right. Like, just try to win every one of them. And then whenever they tell you you're done drifting, you're done drifting. And it That's kind right. of felt <laughs> like that for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. battle One battle at a time. Yeah, of time. get
2: it done, get it done, get it done. Damn, let's keep going. No, Nate, it's over. I want to keep going. No, it's over. Shit! All right, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so the car seemed dialed in,
2: dude. The um, car was sharp. Yeah, that car was sharp. Like, right. So quick, quick little skinny version here is like, so I had a wiring issue that ended up blowing my motor. So literally, the chassis harness in my car was from somewhere around 2017 so it went 18 19 20 21 and i had never redid any of the wiring in the car so obviously it's like brittle and it's starting to cause issues and we realized like the wiring has just been through it and you know whether it's not grounding properly it's not delivering fuel properly like there's too much going on to try to sift through it and figure it out so again like in that last 48 hours we rewired everything and like the motor felt so sharp the car would turn on every time. The screen wouldn't give me any issue. Like there was just no electrical issues, no motor hiccups. Um, so yeah, I, like had a ton of confidence, which just keeps me thinking about the drifting event, right? Like it keeps yeah. me thinking about my line and right. how to better it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in competition, what was the hardest thing to try to really lock in was the like start to initiation with like let's say Dirk. Right, like okay. with those fast cars on the tire they're on, my timing there was the hardest part out of the whole run.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that sets your pace for the rest of the run.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they they have like much more mechanical grip, whether it be the ride height of their car. Like I still want mine to be low enough and look cool, yeah. and yeah, like that's, yeah. you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's one thing that like I don't like when I go to drift events. I see all these cars. J- I mean, I understand why they do it, right? you know, everything's jacked up and, and I'm just like, I like this, the JDM style, right. The, the I'm slammed,
2: trying to, I'm trying yeah, to keep both, you know, it's
1: hard. It's hard. You know, Dustin miles was good at that. Mm-hmm. At least that he's, you know, Animal coast, he was able, it was pretty low and he was able to hang for the most part, mm-hmm. but um, Randy Noah, freaking Randy that. Noah. Yeah. Randy Noah is <laughs> another one, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but okay. So now any major changes you have to make to the car or you think you're just going to just do some basic maintenance and, and let it ride.
2: Um, yeah, we're going to like change the oil, change the spark plugs. Uh, we're going to actually put a new subframe in it. So we have one that's going to be obviously reinforced. So that way we don't have this issue. Mm -hmm. And of course you got to remember too, at the track, um, team. So Mm -hmm. Ernie Honadale's guy and Connor's guy, Andrew helped weld my subframe back. Oh. And they're they're doing the whole like you know one eye it looks close to this pretty like, <laughs> like, so it's hard to say if that pickup point is even in the exact spot it should be. Uh, right so right. to kind of eliminate that chance we're just gonna throw a new subframe in it and uh, make sure she's like well aligned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was so funny too because Ernie <laughs> on Honeddale's team was like, you know, I don't know if we, whatever. He was like, Fuck you, dude. Like <laughs> and then the same yeah, way, Andrew. Yeah. Andrew came at the end of the van and was like, Fuck you, man. Like <laughs> they, yeah. they helped me, you know, get by and then we got by.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've seen that in the past with um Rome uh lending a transmission to um Alec, Alec and then taking the number one qualifying spot on that <laughs> transmission. Yeah, we've seen yeah. that before in the past. Yeah. So it, it's right. it's always good to be on the um the, uh the winning edge of that 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 <laughs> scenario, right?
2: It don't always happen. but in the same regard, like I lend gears to Honeddale, and we work together and like, you know, I love that camaraderie, right? That's how when when in two thousand and twelve drifting was. Everyone would help everyone. Obviously, you get like bummed when you lose and then you drink beer, and it's all good. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: I enjoy that, and I want to keep that alive in one four pits, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. And we mm-hmm. saw that actually with a random fan with uh Adamus, right his the explosion in the pits insane and then a random guy coming out and just say, "Hey take the parts off my car to try to get you going
2: insane like yeah that yeah. was that
1: was insane to see that happen so drifting it's
2: it's it, like that
1: and drifting that's what I fell in love with drifting the most yeah when I went to my first event and I saw that people lending tires to somebody else so they can compete against them right
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not something I was ever used to seeing because most of them my time around cars was drag racing, and it's cutthroat. Like they're hoping right. something breaks or you mm-hmm. run out of tires, right? Yeah. So just to see that, just I don't know. It's just a whole different vibe that I've ever experienced, and it seems to be universal. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you have your guys that are cutthroat. You have mm-hmm. your guys that are really strict competitors, and and are like that. But for the vast majority of my experience, hasn't been that way. No.
2: So. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to you know, what would you call it? Like it speaks to the benefit of the sport beyond just that event that you're at. Right. Like, I appreciate Ernie and Andrew helping me. And if there's somebody local in Florida that hits me up that may need something, I would recommend them. Right. So Mm -hmm. they can help you on that day, but it may go even further than that down the road. And I think that that's kind of the glue of drifting is like, we're all trying to big each other up through our Mm -hmm. small businesses that we need to do to then go racing. And I think like when you can remember, like today's the day of competition, but that camaraderie goes well beyond just that event. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just proud to see that alive still, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um,
2: So now that you won
0: the event, um, evidently you already have plans for the car. Um, Is there do you have plans for the, the shop? I mean, cause it seems like you're branching out and, and working with actually working with some of your competitors actually. So how's that relationship going and, and are you looking to do more and branch out into other industries or are you sticking around the, the drifting primarily?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, to speak on that, it's like saying I really, really have a goal for 144 to become much more of a brand than it is Nate Hamilton. Um, I think that I can basically just expedite the information that I've had to learn for other drivers like Will Couch or Mm. Jonathan Naren or Mm. guys that are trying to turn their motorsports career into a brand to leverage to sponsors to then make Mm. it. Um, and then I just happen to be the dude that prints the shirts that can kind of expedite that. So like my goal is to print for as many drivers as possible. And, you know, what's kind of cool on the back end of that is the more we print together, the better I like the better pricing I get on my blanks, because the more my volume goes up, the better margins we make, which then I offer to the guys. So In a way, all of us working together just allows, you know, your 48 or 72 pack of shirts to be more affordable. Um, And then that way we just are, you know, a driver printing for a driver and a company that cares about motorsports printing for motorsports. And so there's just a lot of parallels there that are working. And I just I'm going to you're going to see me over the next few years really push for 144 to potentially, let's say, have a team uh, for 144 to be a sticker on cars and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a brand that creates that's for motorsports. And my hope is to be able to be scalable in the future with my investments and just take over the drifting industry and be the plug that can allow everyone to rock solid t-shirts and, uh, sell right. them and make a profit that helps fund their tire budget. Right. Right. Hmm. Pay forward. But yeah, it is, it is weird sometimes. Cause like you get the, So to go to the on-track moments, it's like, yo, what up? Sick. The shirts so great. Awesome. And then when you beat him in comp, it's like, fuck you, dude. You know, so (laughs) there's a a yin and a yang to it. But again, like it speaks further than just that event, right? Like obviously, you know, when you get knocked out of comp, it's just not the funnest thing. But at the same time, you cool off and then I'm still here Mm -hmm. for you, you know? Right. Yeah.
1: Good. Good deal.
0: And then, um, the the other thing I wanted to ask you is that you're publishing or basically expressing some of this, uh, some of your journey on your YouTube channel, right?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Like, um, you know, YouTube for me comes and goes, it's something that I will be honest and say, like, I'm definitely not consistent with, um it's a full-time job and i don't have anybody in the position right now that's operating it um i enjoy being in front of a camera and telling a story um but at the same time you know it's it's a tough it's a tough hire right like creating is tough finding the right person is tough youtube monetization is tough when you're small and you have however many subs we have like a thousand or something right so it's just one of those things that I would love for the brand to do more in the future. But right now, it's pretty stale. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, but I do enjoy telling a story on YouTube.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's it takes a lot of time. And doing it yourself sucks. Right? It, you know, it does because... Well. You're like, okay, I'm going to change my tires. I don't want to record that. I'm just going to freaking change my tires. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, I'm not going to record me freaking welding my exhaust because that's going to take, it's going to slow down the process. You just want to get it done. So it does. You got to bring somebody in and then that's here. Now you're not another expense, right? And now maybe they don't interpret things or they don't have the same um, vision, right? That you have to put up. So it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing, but it's something that. Can benefit you very fairly well if you can. Yeah, like
2: I need to lean into it more for sure. But I just, you know, the print shop's busy. We're getting jobs. We're going racing. You know, it's something that I want to do it and I want to do it right. And I almost fear, I guess you'd say, like, I almost fear doing it like randomly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd much rather just like maybe pause it and build a solid foundation and then relaunch it and then just Mm -hmm. make sure when I relaunch it's consistent. So I'm on the fence there, you know, like, I don't know how to, how to get that one uh, going yet.
1: I get you. I get you, man. What? Oh, okay. Um, all right. So took home first place, got some money, right? Yep. Get to throw that back in the program. Feels good finally to get on that podium. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to make some changes to the car and I assume you're going to keep the game playing the same going to round five.
2: Yep. Yep. The boys are talking about this car setup, gearing for the bank Mm-hmm. um kind of how we can walk into the first practice session as prepared as possible uh but yeah same thing i think like this win has allowed me to see winning a little bit clearer so hopefully i can just do the same thing again here in what two weeks mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah, yeah. the bank two will weeks. benefit me like my 240 like i love it but at the same time underneath the panels it's completely like a crushed beer can <laughs> so yeah. riding a wall for me feels super fun. I've got two bumpers in the trailer, so I'm ready for those moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just hope I could be like very aggressive on this last race.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it. Um mm-hmm. kind of starting to wrap this up. Is there anything that you want to touch on or think you maybe missed or anything?
2: Dude, we've been running it. I feel good about it. You guys are killing yep. it. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Like, I just wanted to uh, connect and talk more about the industry. And so I appreciate you guys letting me do that, you know.
1: No, we appreciate you having on. And that's one of the things that we've always decided that this was going to be about is highlighting drivers, whether it be pro drivers or just drivers that are grassroots. We've had grassroots drivers that nobody's probably ever heard of. And we've had guys like you that have made a name for yourself in the pro circuit. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are just embracing it every day we can Mm -hmm. and we just enjoy it like we're doing it because it's a passion we love to do yeah this is something that we're gonna do nobody's gonna stop us doing it whether nobody watches this or everybody watches this (laughs) we're gonna it's gonna be the same for us you know we're not doing it for any other reason would it be great to have a little benefits of people watching yes (laughs) (laughs) you know would you know be able to monetize and afford that our 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 live stream rig that we're always talking to. We talked about some of the past to be able to fund that, but that's not a reality right now, Mm. but it's not going to stop us. I like
2: like where you're going with it. And I kind of get that same mindset with YouTube or whatever Mm -hmm. program you want to start up. It takes time. And then just imagine everything you're cataloging right now, when you do hit the mainstream light, they can go back and watch it. So like, you're just cataloging, you know, you're cataloging your brand, you're cataloging your yourselves and mm-hmm. it'll, it'll pop off, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, Nate, I appreciate you taking the time out and we've talked about having you on for a while and I'm just ecstatic that it worked out in such a way that we got you on and you ended up winning. So yeah, you know, that that's pretty cool. Like, like I was like, literally after we announced you the winner, Ben looks at me just like. You realize what just happened, right? We got yeah. him to get on the show, and then he won. It's just like he <laughs> couldn't have asked for a more a perfect um, lineup. Um, so again, shout out to your family. Yeah, you're 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 a new dad, and I'm sure you're yeah. loving that life, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So uh, it's I guess let's end. What is your YouTube channel, and where can people find you on the Instagrams or whatnot?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the social plugs YouTube is just one four four. Uh, And then, yeah, just I think Nate Hamilton, 144. And then the print house is 144's print house. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are like the three spots that we're dropping content.
1: Okay. All right. So those of you guys that are watching, you know, support this man. I mean, he's doing big things. And it's been great to just watch your progression and see how just that everything has worked out and it's great to see you on top and we're looking forward to round five to see that's what right happens
2: that's right it's just getting started man i'll see you guys in a few short weeks and thanks for having me on absolutely yeah, no, thank, thank,
1: you thank you so you for much All
3: right.
1: uh have a good night wait what for what no, no,
0: no, hang on just to go do the thing uh folks uh thank you for watching and uh, we hope to see you two weeks from now two weeks from now so wait hold on a second hey, are yeah. we doing the thing the thing. Oh yeah, yes. The thing. The thing. Okay. But, but we're gonna make an announcement. We,
1: we, we could use a space to do the thing. Right. There's he has a good space to do the thing.
0: All right, but we got it. Nate, can you stick around? Yeah. For a moment yes. after this, okay. We're okay. gonna sign off. Sign off. We're gonna figure some things out about the thing. About the thing, okay. and then we will make an announcement soon enough. Okay. In the meantime, though, just uh just follow us along. We'll make an announcement hopefully soon enough. And you'll probably see us soon again. In the meantime, thank you all for watching. Appreciate your time and hope to catch you next time. Take care and good night.